Welcome to all of you here at the Fairhope campus and all that are worshiping with us at uh, the Robertsdale campus and everybody that's joining us online. Welcome to Advent Sunday at Three Circle Church. Now, what is Advent Sunday? I'm glad you asked. Uh, Advent uh, is a, uh, an ancient tradition uh, of the Christian church in which uh, we take the four weeks prior to Christmas and we designate that as a time in which we prepare our hearts and our minds uh, for the celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, uh, the, the tradition itself is carried out in different ways with uh, the lighting of candles, which represent certain uh, areas uh, that, uh, uh, from Scripture that talk about uh, the coming of Christ and the meaning of Christ and Christmas and all of those things. And sometimes it's stretched out over a four-week period in a local church where they'll light a candle each week. We sort of condense it, and we'll do it all today on Advent Sunday, and we'll light the candles that represent those things that we'll talk about today. So uh, Advent at Three Circle Church and the beginning of Christmas then at Three Circle is officially started. Now, when I say that this is the beginning of Christmas, there are some of you who are here who almost laugh out loud uh, because you know that you started Christmas a long time ago. Uh, you haven't waited till, you know, after Thanksgiving and that whole thing. Uh, let me tell you about one of our staff families. I won't tell you exactly who it is, uh, but uh, this couple uh, leads the uh, student ministry at our Fairhope campus. <laughs> and it's his birthday today. Uh, I'll throw that in. Uh, and so uh, uh, they were telling me the other day that uh, their young children had gotten back from, uh, you know, going house to house to beg for candy uh, like uh, kids do uh, on uh, Halloween. And so they had done that and got home and, you know, had this, uh, you know, collection of stuff that they had received, but then they started crying. And I mean, real tears, like tears streaming down their face. And when they were asked, why are you crying? Their response was, well, we're crying because Halloween is over. And they were just really upset. So how do you calm a child in that case? Well, you do what they did. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, but guess what tomorrow is? Tomorrow is the beginning of Christmas. <laughs> and so I thought, well, that's... That's early. It's a day after. And then just a few minutes ago, someone told me that the way they did it is they started decorating their Christmas tree while kids were still coming to their house getting candy on Halloween. You know, and, and so this whole rush, you know, to Christmas, sort of ignoring Thanksgiving at times has really created a lot of tension between people. There actually have been some uh, uh, physical encounters between people, uh, you know, because of that. And we actually have a picture uh, of one of those encounters. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, a few things that I would say about that is that Number one, I understand where the turkey's coming from. Tired of being ignored, try, you know, tired of Santa Claus just pushing his way through. But I also have to say this, physical violence is never the solution to anything. And body shaming is never nice. And you should not do that. You should never do that. So regardless of when you began the celebration of Christmas, for us, it begins today. 
And so as we begin to talk about Christmas, I want to turn your attention to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, actually, before I do that, I want to do one more thing because I, th- I need to be honest. Okay, I need to be honest. One more picture that I need to show you. This is a picture of my house. Okay, now here's the deal. It's fully decorated for Christmas and it got decorated more than two weeks ago. So, you know, I'm shaming other people, you know, but really just to let you know, this was not my choice. That was my wife's choice uh, to decorate early. And I am a, a, a proponent of happy wife, you know, happy life. Uh, and so she wanted to decorate, so we're, we're done. But this is officially our start, okay? So Galatians chapter four, beginning with verse four, says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I, I want us to concentrate for a few moments on that phrase, but when the fullness of time had come. Uh, you know, what does that actually mean? A literal translation would just be when the time was right. When the time was right, Jesus was born. Well, what made that time right? What was it about that point in history? Jesus could have come before that. He could have come after. What made that moment in history the right time for Jesus to be born? Well, I want to give you a little history lesson. We're going to cover 400 years of history in just a couple minutes. All right, here's the thing. That 400 years of history is called the intertestamental period. It's the 400 years from Malachi, which is the end of the Old Testament, to the coming of John the Baptist, which is the beginning of the New Testament. That 400 years of history is also known as the silent years. Because during that period of time, God did not speak in the way he had spoken before. And that is through prophets where God gave direct messages to his people. So it was called the silent period, the silent years. But what we understand and what we can figure out as we study that period of time, that while it was true that God was silent, it was not true that God was inactive. God was, in fact, working. He was doing some things that made the time of Christ's birth the perfect time for his birth. Now, I want to point out a couple of those things. First of all was the rise of the Greek empire. Alexander the Great comes on the scene. He uh, builds through conquest one of the greatest empires the world has ever known. A part of what Alexander wanted to do was everywhere he conquered a people, a nation, or a region, he wanted to replace their culture with Greek culture. And most importantly, he wanted to insert the Greek language. So at the time of the birth of Christ, There was a common language throughout what we would know later as the New Testament world. There was a language that was understood by everyone. We know that at the time of Christ that when he was born, even Hebrew scripture had been translated into Greek and what we know as the Septuagint. We also know that when the writers of the New Testament wrote, even though they were Jews, they did not write in Hebrew. They wrote in Greek. And so there was a common language for a story to be written and for a story to be told. But then you move ahead and you move from the Greek empire to the Roman empire. The Roman empire was famous for a lot of things. One of the things that they did very well was to build roads, build highways. And some of the roads that were built during the time 
uh, of the Roman Empire are still in place today and are still usable today. But they also did something else. They created a philosophy that they called Pax Romana. Pax Romana simply means Roman peace. That meant that wherever they had conquered, they would create political rest. There would be political peace. So with this political peace and with these roads, it made it very convenient for people to travel from place to place, city to city, town to town, village to village. As a matter of fact, the ease of travel was at its highest peak in the history of mankind at the time that Christ was born. So think about it. History tells us that at the time that Christ was born, there was a common language for telling a story and there was ease of transmission of that story, the ability to take it from town to town, city to city. And so what that shows us that while it may have been true that God was silent, he was not at all inactive. And so this reminds us as individuals today that when it appears that God is silent, we must trust that he is still at work, that he's still doing something. And here's the thing about God. He, you may not be able to see his hand at work. You may not be able to see the evidence at the time of his working, but he's at work and he may be working out something that's even bigger than what you're praying about. You see, the Jews were hoping and praying for a Messiah that would save them. God was working on something that would save the entire world, something bigger and grander than even that which they were praying about. And so the first Christmas reminds us the fact that even if, that, or it reminds us that the time that Jesus was born was the right time. But we also know this, that even though it was the right time, it doesn't mean everything in that time was right. Now, it was still a broken world. It was still a place of darkness. That's the way John described Jesus coming into the world, light coming into darkness. The reality is that Jesus was born in a third world context that was under the rule of a military dictatorship. We know that it was a time of extreme poverty. We know that it was a time where there was social and religious unrest and conflict. We know that it was a time in which, in which there was widespread oppression and there, and, and there was overwhelming depression. So we know and, that it was a desperate, desperate time. But this reminds us the fact that God doesn't wait till everything's right to show up. But the fact is that God will step right into the middle of your mess. Because think about it, God doesn't wait uh, uh, until the doctor's reports are good. God doesn't wait until your marriage is fixed. God doesn't wait until your finances finally get worked out. God doesn't wait until you get the job you've been longing for. God doesn't wait until your addiction is overcome. God steps in right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the darkness to help you with what you're going through. He's not that friend that when you say, hey, I've got a job, I need some help, he waits till the job's done, shows up and says, is there anything I can do? He's the guy that shows up when the work begins and rolls up his sleeve and says, how can I help you with this situation? And that's why I think that the first candle of Advent is the candle of hope. This hope that God will show up even right in the middle 
of my chaos. I think by definition, hope could be said to be a secure assurance, a trust placed in a trustworthy God. Hope simply rests on this fact that God has not failed me yet. And so my hope and trust is that he will not fail me today or tomorrow or the next day or any day moving forward. My favorite passage that talks about this process of hope is Romans 5, verses 3 to 4, where it says that not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's a whole lot in that verse of Scripture that talks about how hope is produced within us. How do we get to a place that we just trust whatever comes my way, everything's gonna be okay? How do we get there? This tells us by using key words that suffering plus endurance plus character equals hope. That's how you get there. So let me just summarize it very quickly. The word suffering simply means heaviness or weightedness. That's what the word refers to. It It refers to a pressing a pushing down, and it just simply means that the way that the apostle used it here is say that life can arrange itself in such a way that it can sometimes feel like the weight of the world is crushing the very life out of you. But what do we know about those times? We know that just like God stepped into the chaos that first Christmas, God will step into the chaos of those those troubled times. He'll step into the pressing times and help to lift the load. He'll help to give us guidance, direction, encouragement, whatever we need through the duration of that trial. But what happens is in that trial that because God steps in with us, it produces endurance. Endurance is a Greek word that paints a very very clear picture of what it means. And, And I want you to see what it means in picture form. You see, endurance means that when everything around you says that you should not be able to survive, you not only survive, but you thrive. Like a flower blooming in a desert, it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be there, but it does. It is there. And so when we go through hard times and God steps in that hard time with us, he teaches us that we can endure, not just survive, but thrive. Well, that teaches us something. That teaches us character, which really is the word experience and literally what it means is to pass the test. So how does it work? I go through hard times. God steps into the hard time with me. I not only survive, I thrive, I endure. And when I get on the other side of that, I have a certificate that says I passed the test. So I can always look back and say, that happened then, God did this, I thrived, I passed the test. How does that create hope? It tells me this, I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. I don't know what the rest of the day's gonna bring. But the same God who got me through that back then and helped me to survive and thrive through that back then and gave me the ability to pass that test is going to be with me in whatever comes my way in the days to come. He will be there with me and I will be able to pass those tests just like I passed the others. And so you see the hope that we celebrate as we light the candle of hope is the hope that the same God 
who stepped into a broken world on that first Christmas will step into whatever the situations are that you're facing right now. He'll step into your brokenness, into your mess, and give you the help that you need. The second Advent candle is the peace candle. The Bible talks about two different types of peace. The first is peace with God. Peace with God comes through us through the work of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Simply means that Jesus paid the penalty on the cross for our sins. And when we confess our sins and trust in him that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to save us. But it also teaches us that, that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God while he was on that cross. The wrath of God that should have been directed to me was instead directed to Christ. And so instead of me getting the wrath of God, what Jesus did exchange the wrath of God for peace with God. So I now have peace with God, and this comes through salvation as a gift from Jesus Christ. The second type of peace, the one that I think we struggle with the most, and especially during this time of year, is the peace of God. The other is peace with God. This is the peace of God. I think as we draw closer and closer to Christmas, uh, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed because of all the, the holiday necessities that they still have to accomplish. They, you know, they still have gifts to buy, gifts to wrap, and you know, gifts to deliver. They have all the baking that has to be done. They you know, have uh, you know, all of the Christmas Eve gatherings that they still have to finalize. They have, uh, uh, they have meals to, to plan, to buy for, to pre prepare, and then to prepare. Uh, they've got all this stuff going on, so they have this long list of to-dos that they, and it seems like the closer they get to Christmas, you hear people say all the time, I have so much to do and so little time to do it, and they're just constantly checking their list, see if they've gotten everything. Well, here's what I think you should do. At the top of every to-do list during the Christmas season, there should be one word, and it should be written in big letters, and it's the word pause. Pause. As you're looking at that list, getting all freaked out about all the stuff you have to do, pause. You see, I, I believe that no matter the length of the list, no matter the, 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 you know, the urgency of the task, we have to, during this time of year, we have to learn to be still, to pause, and to find peace in the middle of the chaos. You see, the peace of God, I think, is something else that we need to understand, is a choice, and it only is found in the pause. The peace with God is a gift given to us. The peace of God is a choice that we get to make. You see, in the pause, we get our eyes off of all the stuff that we have made a part of Christmas, and we get our eyes fixed upon Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us and who we are in him. And when we pause and think about those things, we find the peace of God. But the problem is that we're so filled with anxiety that our peace is diminished. We're so worried about all the things we have to do that we go through the season of peace without having any peace. 
And, and I, I think Paul warns us about that in that famous scripture in, in Philippians 4, where he says, do not be anxious about anything, including your Christmas to-do list. But in, prayer, but, it, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the pause. And so what happens when we pause? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to learn to pause and to focus upon what the season is really all about and who it is really all about. You see, the message of Christmas is not that Jesus brought peace, but the message of Jesus uh, of Christmas is that Jesus is peace. When we read the account of the angels uh, announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, we read that they praise God by proclaiming this, that glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the shepherds were told that they could go to the manger and when they go there, they would find on earth peace. Not that they would find peace on earth because Jesus came as peace. He did not come and create a condition of peace in the earth. That's what we want. That's what we sing about. And that's what we talk about. We, we sort of misquote what the angels say and we say that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. The reality is Jesus came to be peace on earth. He came to be on earth, peace. And so we know that he didn't come to create peace on earth because there hasn't been peace on earth in the entire history of mankind except maybe for a period of time in the garden. There's always been conflict. There's always been sin and the effects of sin. So there has not been any peace on earth, but there can be on earth peace. And that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, the shepherds were told, if you'll go there, you'll find on earth peace. And there is today, while we still yearn for a world where there is peace on earth, and one day there will be, when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom in this earth, there will be peace on earth. But right now there is only on earth peace. And the way it exists is in the heart of every born again believer. Because it's in the heart of every one of us that Christ dwells through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And where Jesus is, there is on earth peace. And he wants us to carry that peace with us. So as we light the peace candle, I hope that today that we will remember that Jesus is our peace. He's our peace here in this earth and he is our peace for eternity. And to remember that he opened the way for you to have peace with God. But he wants you to have more than that. He wants and desires for you, for you to choose to pause and receive the peace of God. The third Advent candle is the candle of joy. Luke 2, beginning with verse 10, says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word joy 
I think outside of just the phrase Merry Christmas, it may be the most used word, if not one of the most used word words during this season. Uh, you'll see it just by itself in decorations on homes, in homes, in businesses, just the word joy. Joy. Everyone wants joy. And while it's everywhere, I don't think that we really understand sometimes what biblical joy is. Uh, the Bible tells us some things about the joy he has for us. One, that it's that God is the one who fills us with joy. Also says that joy is the fruit of the spirit, but also says this, also teaches this about biblical joy, that no one and no circumstance can take away God-given joy. Nothing can rob you of your joy. It's a choice you get to make. I, but I think one of the problems in understanding joy is that we confuse it with happiness and we think somehow that joy and happiness are the same thing. And, and while there are similarities between the two, they are not the same thing. I, I would describe their difference this way. Happiness is because of, but joy is in spite of. Doesn't seem like much, but that's a big difference. You see, happiness comes as a result of the things that happen in our lives. And as long as the things that are happening are good, as long as our, you know, we have financial security and our relationships are going well and as uh, long as we're healthy and as long as we have success in our business or our careers or our jobs or our education, as long as things around us are going well, then we feel happy. It's an external thing. It's an external thing that works its way to the inside. That because this is good, I will eventually respond to that by being happy. But you see, joy is different. It's not a because of thing. It's an in spite of thing. And while there are circumstances that can come around us and produce joy, the fact is that joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. As a matter of fact, joy makes our circumstances irrelevant. It shouldn't matter what's going on around us because joy is not an external thing that has to work its way in. Joy is an internal thing. It's, it, joy springs up from this reservoir that is within us, placed in us by God and nurtured by the Holy Spirit. It comes up from within us and it sustains us even when the circumstances around us aren't conducive to happiness, we can still maintain joy. It's why Paul could write a letter to a church in the New Testament, and to this day we still refer to it as the joyful letter. But he wrote it from prison. But it's why we as, as Christians can, can have joy in the midst of hardships and trials and the most difficult places and times in our life. It's because it's not external, it's internal. And so it's a choice I get to make to, to rejoice because of what's inside of me. Now, love and peace and joy are all rooted within, in unchanging truths. That's why I can maintain my joy because it's rooted in things that don't change with my circumstances. Rick Warren stated it this way, and I love this 
the way he put it. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. That doesn't change with circumstance. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, that doesn't change with circumstance. And so because those things are true, then I can determine to choose to praise God in every situation. And when I praise God because of those two truths in spite of my circumstances, that is joy. It's coming from the inside out. Now, I I want to tell you something, something about my wife. Don't tell her that I'm telling you this. All of you, Robert Stale, a lot of you know my wife. Don't tell her that I'm about to tell you this. But my wife does this thing that drives me nuts sometimes. I know it's hard to believe. And here's what she does. Okay, I'll come and I want to have a talk with her and I want to talk about some crisis, some hardship, some struggle that I'm going through or maybe that we're going through. And so I'm the kind of person, I want to lay it all out. Okay, here's the deal. Here's what the problem is. And I'm going to lay it out with all the passion and all the, you know, the emotion that I'm feeling because of that circumstance. And I'm going to lay it all out and I'm going to say, and here's what could happen. This could be a personal thing. It could be a family thing. It could be work-related thing. And I'm going to lay it all out and say, and it could go this way. It could go that way. It could go this way. It could go this other way. And here are the ramifications. If it goes this way, how it's going to affect us. Here's this one. And I'm laying it all out and I'm just pouring my heart out. And when I get through and I look at her, what I want from her is, first of all, to agree with me. You know, first of all, or at least to say, you know, you're right, that, no, man, that could go that way. And I mean, it could really get bad. I want her to do that. But you know what she does? Drives me nuts. After I've spent all that time, that emotion, laying out the problem, she looks at me and she says, it's all good. That's it. And I say, what? She says, it's all good. And I've gotten to the point now, I used to just ignore it. Now I just say, no, it's not good. (laughs) Have you not heard what I've been telling you? Have you not paid attention to what I've just described? It's not all good. But here's, but this is why I love her, okay? One of the reasons. You see, I'm still here dwelling in the mess. I'm still living in the circumstance the changing, fluctuating circumstances of my life. She's already jumped ahead of me. And when she looks at me and she says in the middle of that, it's all good. What she's really saying is this. She's challenging me. She's challenging me with, is God not in control of all the details of your life? Mm, Yeah. Is it not true that eventually everything is gonna work out all right? Yeah. Yeah then it's all good. And what she's challenging me is to move from the mess, the externals, and to draw from the internal that is built upon those two unchanging facts and to go ahead and praise God in the middle of the mess because when I do, instead of becoming 
erratic and hectic and despondent over the circumstance, I become joyful. Because even in the mess, I know God's in control and everything's going to work out all right. And so as we light the joy candle, my prayer is for each of you that regardless of whatever it is that you might be going through right now, as we light this candle, you'll remember those two things, that you will preach it to yourself. God is in control of every detail of my life. And eventually everything is going to work out all right. And so this day, in this very moment, in the middle of this circumstance, I choose to praise God for those truths. And when you do that, that will be a joyful expression. The fourth and final Advent candle is the love candle. The Christmas story is all about love. It really is a love story. There's the love of Joseph for Mary. There's the love for Mary for Jesus. But those are just a small part of the story. You see, when people ask the question, why is there a Christmas? The answer is very simple. There's a Christmas because God loves sinners. And because of his love for sinners, that's the real love story of Christmas. You see, the central message of Christmas is simply that, is God's love for you, for me, everyone here in Fairhope, everyone in Robertsdale, everyone online, because we're all sinners. It's his love for us. That's evident in the angel's words to Joseph about Mary, if you remember in Matthew 1, where it says, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. So why was Jesus born on that first Christmas day? It's all in the name. It's all in his name, Jesus. The name Jesus means savior, means salvation. It's the root of that famous verse of scripture in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But you have to go further, don't stop there. Verse 17, for God did not send his son. So Jesus did not just come, God sent him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Everybody has their childhood memories of their, of their best Christmas ever, the best gifts ever. I have mine and it's, it's, it's very clear. It's, there's not even a close second. It happened when I was in the fifth grade and we had moved to an area where not only did they have organized baseball and football, which I was playing already, but they had organized hockey. And I wanted to play hockey. And I didn't have the equipment. And so I asked my parents for the equipment to play hockey. So I was so excited that Christmas morning and I got up and went and there it was, everything I needed to play hockey. Shoulder pads with the chest protector, 
the big gloves to protect your hands, the pants with the pads built in, and the knee and the shin guards and the big wool socks that come up over it to, to protect them. But the best part was a pair of CCM hockey skates and a Northland Pro hockey stick. The reason those were special because those were the exact skates and the exact stick that one of my childhood childhood heroes used. And his name was Gordy Howe. Played for the Detroit Red Wings and I followed everything Gordy Howe did. And I was gonna be able to go on the ice wearing the same skates as Gordy Howe, using the same stick as Gordy Howe. I was so excited. And so I was so excited, it's like, I don't wanna wait for lunch. I, you know, I don't wanna wait for all this other stuff. Can I put my stuff on? Can we go play? And, and, and there was a rink nearby where kids would just gather and we would have pickup hockey games, just like you'd have pickup basketball or whatever. So they finally let me go. And so I put all my new stuff, my skates hanging over my shoulder and got down to the rink and put my new skates on. And man, I was in heaven. I stayed on the ice so long then it was time to go home and I took my skates off and slipped them inside my boots. When I started to walk, my feet hurt so bad that I couldn't hardly work, couldn't hardly walk because they were so cold. But with every step and with all the pain, it didn't matter because I had gotten the best gift I could have ever gotten. It took me a few years but I eventually came to the place where I realized that that wasn't the best gift I'd ever been given. The best gift I'd ever been given was a baby lying in a manger. The best gift I'd ever been given was Jesus Christ who came because he loved me and because God loved me. I think from time to time, all of us probably have those moments where we, we wonder, does God really love me? You know, we have those moments of doubt, maybe. I would encourage you that if you ever doubt that God loves you, just look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, a baby lying in a manger of Jesus who had left the splendors of heaven, the perfection of heaven, the joy of heaven, and stepped into a broken, messed up world for you. Look at Jesus, the man, hanging on a cross, dying a gruesome death, and realize he's doing that for you because God the Father loves you. I think one of the great ironies of Christmas is that in this season of hope and peace and joy and love that there are some people who don't feel that way at Christmas. Instead, they feel abandoned. They feel forgotten. And if that's you, if somehow this season doesn't inspire those things that we've talked about today, but instead you're overwhelmed with the idea that no one cares about you. I would ask you 
read the story of Christmas one more time. And when you do, think about the fact that certainly it is his story. But also recognize that it's your story. You're one of the main characters in the story. Because the reason that baby is there is because God loves you. The only reason that he came is because God loves you. And so as we light the love candle, my prayer is that in this season, that somehow you would be reminded of how valuable you are to God. That God loves you enough that he sent his son. God loves you enough that Jesus died on a cross for your sins. Just remember how valuable you are.